Welcome to the Wellspring Church Podcast. We're an international church family who wants to see Jesus' love transform communities. This recording is a sermon from our Sunday service and will take you deeper into the Bible in a real and relevant way. Look, we're going to get into the Word. We're in 1 Peter and we're finishing off 1 Peter today. So we're going to be in chapter 5. So if you want to follow along, please do open uh, your Bible uh, at chapter 5 and we'll, we'll look at that together. But I think it's always good just to ask the Holy Spirit to lead and guide our time in the Word together. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you see us, you know us, you're close to us and your heart is to to speak to us today, Lord. And uh, I pray, Father, you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts that are open to be ministered to. And I pray, Father, for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit on all of us, Lord. And I do ask for myself that you'd help me share all that's on your heart. Uh, may I be obedient to you, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Wonderful. Well, in our series, uh, we've called Living Stones and uh, always good to remind ourselves Jesus is the living stone. He is also the cornerstone. And you'll find that in 1 Peter chapter 2. But therefore, there's a reminder for all of us who have faith in Jesus, who believe in his death and resurrection, then we too follow his example and we get to be living stones as well. But we're not living stones just on Jesus. We're living stones together on Jesus. And so through this time, a couple of weeks back, I mentioned how I felt really the Lord's word, I said with fear and trembling, is that I believe God is calling us to grow up, right? And grow up on Christ. Well, as I've progressed with this thinking along prayer, uh, I've realized it's not just to grow up on Christ, but it's grow up in Christ's family. So we're not just, just on him, but we're blessed through him, through others through the people that God has intentionally and purposefully put us together with. And hopefully you'll find that within the church family or within some form of small group. And we'll talk about that later on. But the word today, if there is a title, it is to grow up in his family. And we can only grow up in his family if we grow up on Christ. Okay? So... Um, not sure if many of you are football fans, but at least uh, some of you may be uh, interested in the life of David Beckham. <laughs> um, so there's been a new documentary on Netflix. It's just come out recently about David Beckham. And whilst maybe I can't say you should go and watch it, there's a bit of coarse language in there and a few things like that. Um, I watched it <laughs> and um, I felt like I learned a few things from it, particularly from episode two. And episode, episode two covered Beckham's life when um, he got a red card in the England World Cup campaign of 98 uh, against Argentina. And you can see a slide up there. And uh, during that game, he got the red card, he was sent off, and then England went to penalties against Argentina. And we all know what happens when England goes to penalties. We choke <laughs> and uh, we lost the game. And it was horrendous and, you know, sad. And uh, we, we exited the World Cup of 98. But if that wasn't bad enough, 
For David, Beckham at least, it went into a very dark and difficult time in his life because the nation, it would seem, I'm not blaming us, but it would seem, at least from the documentary, the nation turned against David and used him as our scapegoat of why we didn't even get through to the quarterfinals. In fact, David Beckham, he played for Man United, that was the local club, the National England Club, and every game he went to, he was booed. Every game he went to for the next year, he was booed. Can you imagine? In our lives, we get difficult times, and we may have people doing the equivalent of booing us. But could you imagine going to stadiums and having people boo (laughs) on you? Then not only that, but just in his personal life, people and the paparazzi were making life difficult for him, and he was getting death threats, you know? It was terrible. And as he reflected on this time, he said how he was depressed and how he was scared and how he just felt broken and felt let down, felt like he'd let down the world, well, not the world, let down England, let down the nation. But Beckham continued to play football for Man United, and he continued to have the skills that he had. But the thing that kept him going wasn't just his love for the game. What we realized is David Beckham had a close-knit family who looked after him, watched over him. But he also had his club, Man United. He had Alex Ferguson being the manager there, who took on, not that he didn't have a father and a good father, but somebody else who took on a father figure in his role to encourage him. He had his own teammates around him that rallied around him whenever things got tough, when people were booing. They just said, keep going. They supported him. They watched over. They checked in on him. Look, even his best mate, um, Gary Neville, he was there when he got the red card. He was there in the mistake, but he continued to encourage and support Beckham as his best mate. Can I encourage you? I think the Lord's word for us today is that he wants us as a church family to rally around one another and pick one another up and challenge one another, look after one another, care for one another. It's not simply enough to say, it's me, myself, and Jesus. I'm built on the cornerstone. You're built on the cornerstone, surrounded by other living stones if you're doing life right. And I want to say this morning, we cannot do the Christian walk alone. We need each other. And we need to be intentional and purposeful with one another. So let's grow up on Christ, but let's grow up in his family. Wonderful. I'm going to read chapter 5. I'm going to do the whole chapter. It'd be nice to do the whole chapter to finish off First Peter. And we're going to look at what it means for us to grow up in his family. And I've got a few points from this. Chapter 5, this is what it says. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. 
Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So Peter, the first epistle of Peter, is in the context of Christian persecution and suffering. And we get suffering at the end of chapter 4, talking about a Christian life leads in, you know, is a life of suffering. And then Peter decides in chapter 5, in spite of that suffering, he talks about Christian leaders, he talks about the Christian family, and then he talks about the enemy. One thing I hope, if you've been following along with the reading plan, or at least in our services, you'll realize how much we're trying to equip you to get more from the Word of God or allow the Spirit to lead you more. And one of the ways we do this is helping you unpack the imagery. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, I, I talked about Jesus being the cornerstone. So I talked about the stone, I talked about the house, I talked about the temple. Well, today, in chapter 5, look with us together how it talks about a shepherd and the sheep. And I've uh, made a table for you to help you kind of bring these things because it brings a depth of teaching when we look at uh, the, the thought, the thread running through. So let's have a look at this together. The, the imagery that Peter gives. First of all, here's the imagery, the chief shepherd. That is Jesus. You'll see that in verse 4. You'll also find that in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, talks about him being the overseer of ourselves. So Jesus is the chief shepherd. There is only one chief shepherd, and that is Jesus. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, and he is the overseer. And we know from John 10, 10, he is the one who gives abundant life. He gives life to the full. That is the role and function of our chief shepherd. We all look to that chief shepherd. He is the model we follow. Then in this text, in chapter 5, we have shepherds. Shepherds are seen as the elders or the leaders of the church family. The church leaders are what we read from here in Peter chapter 5. They are to be examples to the flock. Okay, and um, they're to be examples, but they're to be examples because they're following the chief's shepherd's example. They are to be followed as they follow Christ. And you, you can see this in terms of what a shepherd does. The shepherd leads the sheep. Okay, so there's nothing wrong here, but it's the style of how they lead. They're to be examples. They're supposed to mirror Christ. They're supposed to be going ahead in Christ so you can follow. But it says in this passage here that they're supposed to witness to Jesus, witness to his death and resurrection, to his sufferings. So we as leaders of the church, and whatever church, they must be pointing to Jesus. 
It's all about Jesus. It also mentions being watchful too. We have to be watchful. Now, here's the thing. That's addressed to the leaders. The leaders are supposed to be watchful like a shepherd is watchful for the flock. So if they see something that is harmful outside the flock, if they see things that are harmful outside the church family, in the world, processes or things or opinions, we're supposed to warn you. We're supposed to protect. We're supposed to be a safe place of refuge to say, that's not good for us. That's not good for your soul. Watch out. And then you also get to be carers. We're not to lord it over. It says flocks under your care. We're supposed to be there to care. So these are the functions of the leaders within the church. Then you've got the flock of sheep. That's all of us together in some sense. We are the church family. We are the flock of God. And uh, as a flock of sheep, what's our purpose then, David? Well, it's to follow the shepherd. So follow the shepherds as the shepherds follow the shepherd. Okay, this is this is the model we're given in Scripture. And I'm drawing out of this, therefore, that there is also the stray sheep, the lost sheep. Yes, it's not in chapter five, but Peter picks up on this in chapter two when he talks about sheep going astray. And here's the thing. Let's be humble. Let's be honest. We've all been the lost sheep. We've all strayed. We've all been away from the shepherd. We've all been away from the flock. Hey, even Peter, the writer of this letter, was with Jesus and abandoned Jesus at a certain point. He, he gave up on Jesus. He denied Jesus. And Jesus restored him, told him, feed my sheep. He works with us even when we're lost. And so the stray sheep represents the lost soul. It's simply because they're lost because they're away from Jesus, and they're away from Jesus' family, his flock. The point of a stray sheep, the point of us all, is to return back to Jesus, the good shepherd, to be close to him, to belong to him, and to belong to his flock. That's what we need to be. And also, therefore, if we follow through the text in verse 8 and 9, it then talks about our enemy, Satan, and he likens the enemy to a lion. See, because he's talking about sheep. Now he's saying a lion. And our enemy, we know the enemy is a real spiritual being, and he is caused to, to devour and destroy us. We know, again, John 10.10, 10, what's he come to do? He's come to steal, he's come to kill, and he's come to destroy. Now we'll pick up on this, but notice in the scripture, in, in 1 Peter 5, it talks about someone. doesn't say that the enemy, the lion, is waiting to take out the flock. Seems like there's safety in the flock, but he says about the one. Dare I say the one maybe the stray sheep or the one who's not part of the flock or just starting to wander, but we'll get back to that. So today, hopefully that helps you just as a blueprint to get you going, but the first point of today, if we are to grow up in God's family, in his family. The first thing is I want to encourage you to do is number one, follow your leader. Follow your leaders. In as much as your leaders, the church leaders, are following Christ. And I know that's tough. We've, we've, we've done some uh, conversation on leadership throughout this year, particularly because we've had a leadership transition. And in September, I was handed over the baton. But I just want to encourage you, as much as I follow Christ, and again, 
Remember I said how it was someone the enemy was going after? Well, when it talks about leadership here, it's talking in plural, plurality, right? It's saying elders. And so as much as the leadership is following Christ, follow those leaders. And really, elders, you, you get the word elder and you think they're older. And that might be the case in terms of life expectancy or life experience. But what I, I would like us to link our understanding of leadership on is simply being ahead of us. And therefore, we follow ahead of us in following Christ. And hopefully that will help you. Now, another thing that will help us is understanding that when we look at imagery, we can also look at echoes. What does that remind me of? What, where have I heard those same phrases before? Remember, this is Peter, Jesus' disciple, one of the inner circle three here. And uh, you will notice in verse 2 when he says about um, serving, watching over the flock, but then he says not lording over in verse 3. Have you heard that before? Is that an echo? Hopefully some of you can remember back to January this year when I preached from Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 and onwards. Jesus talks about leadership, and he talks about leadership saying not lording over. In fact, the whole context of Matthew chapter 20 is um, uh, the, the brothers, the John, John and his brother James, their mother asked Jesus, when you get into your kingdom of glory, can my children have a chair, a seat? Can they be seated to your left or to your right, right? So they can be seen. So leadership was all about being seen, and it's all about the comfort, right? But Jesus flips it. He, he talks about leadership, and then he addresses it and says, well, can you drink my cup? There's the chair that is of comfort, which is a, a way of seeing leadership that Jesus doesn't relate to. He sees leadership as drinking his cup. And uh, as we know, his cup was sour. <laughs> his cup wasn't so good. Even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was speaking with his father, knowing he was going to the cross, he said, Father, if there's any way, please remove this cup from me, but not my will, yours be done. And for the joy set before him, he endured suffering and the cross. Leadership is to be ahead in suffering or different kinds of sufferings. <laughs> so here's the lovely invitation so you can follow. Where I know we all have suffering, or we're, we're all, we, we all have our problems, we all have our difficulties, and it's not to deal with it on our own, it's to be together, but also to follow after our leaders. Godly leadership is Jesus, He's the model, He's our example. He suffered, right? And out of His suffering, He even submitted to it. That's a tough one for the church leaders. Well, we're supposed to suffer and we're supposed to submit. And out of that, we serve just like Jesus served. And out of his serving, he loved. And so we got to serve and love. Now, I'm talking addressing church leadership for you guys to know what the ideal is. And I want to work among you guys and with my teams um, with, <laughs> with a humble heart. But there, there is room we could talk about this some other time. I think it's, it's not in the text today, so we won't go there. But how when dif disagreements or things go wrong in leadership, how we can deal with that. But I guess since um, we've touched this subject, people may be wondering, well, what about Wellsprings leadership? We've had a change. What's going on? What's the difference? Can I, 
can I ask you to be patient with me? I want to bide my time a bit longer. Maybe in early 2024, I'll share a bit more about structures and functions of different leadership teams. What I want you to know is the existing teams are still in place. We still have a trusteeship, and all those people are remaining on trusteeship. They've agreed to, and I've added new people on there for a time. The ministry leaders, which is myself and Magdi, and I will say that by name, that's really seen what you hear here, the presbyteros, um, the elders. Um, but I've added people to that team, but we're giving that some time. And also with my pastoral leadership, the kind of everyday uh, discipleship, the everyday outreach support and things like that, I'm adding to that team. And I'll share with you in early next year. But the thing is, uh, I want you to know that we all submit to Christ, okay? And uh, only follow us as much as we submit to Christ. Um, that's how we do leadership. Um, we're here to serve. That's the only form of leadership I really see. In fact, if you look in the New Testament, the, the word leadership doesn't really come up too often. And I think there's a reason why. Because Jesus didn't want it to be associated with a Gentile form of leadership, which was at the time a non-Jewish form of leadership, because Christ or God wouldn't be the leader. Right? Wonderful. We are to follow our leaders. Um, we're supposed to go ahead. And we're supposed to we're go ahead in suffering, in serving, in submitting, and in loving. Please follow as you see us follow Christ. Now, the second um, point today, if we are to follow our leaders, we're also to serve one another. And you can see this in the passage. It's most clearly said when it talks about humility. And we see that word come up a couple of times. But particularly, it talks about submitting, young people submitting to older people. And you've got the elders there. And I understand in the text, it can look like the leaders of the church. But I simply see this as generational submission and appreciation for one another. Really, from this angle, it talks about you know, those further on, we look up to, we submit to, we, we look to and say, help us. I also believe that older people can learn from younger people. And again, remember, let's not just do an age thing. It's about being ahead or experiencing more and being in relationship with Jesus or just in life. We could do with the tech support of young people, can't we, older people? We can. They're so helpful. They know the digital world like we don't. And uh, I'm associating myself in the older category there as well, would you believe? Um, Here's something I think is really practical, and it, it doesn't come straight out of here, but this is what I've latched on. I think this is the sort of permission and the push towards spiritual parenting, actually, if you've got generational submission. And I just want to share a testimony of my life and, um, and, and how I've done this. I've sought out, I've sought after people who I've seen ahead in the faith that I'm like, I want to be like them as much as they follow Christ. And uh, from a young age, yes, I, I was brought up in church, but as a teenager, I looked out to the previous minister leader here, Tim, not because he was the leader, but because at a, at a certain point, he was the youth leader, and I asked him to spend time with me. I wasn't asking because I was expecting to become the next leader. <laughs> I wasn't asking because I wanted a church position. I was asking because I wanted to get closer to Jesus. I wanted to seek after the shepherd, the chief shepherd, the overseer of my soul. And it wasn't just 
Tim. As I went to Bible college, I realized in my Bible college class, there were several people who'd run the race and further on than me. And I, I mentioned uh, him last week. There was a man called Joseph Wondera from Kenya, and I just loved the guy. I just asked him, can I spend time with you? Can I weekly pray with you? Or whatever it was. And I submitted to him. I learned from him. There's a couple in our church called Ron and Gretel Hibbert. Some of you may know them. They're absolute legends in, in being Christians, basically. And I decided, um, as I was growing into leadership, to ask him to invest into my life. I get different people in my life to speak into my life. And just to be more accountable to you all, that's all sort of within the church family, right? And then whilst I was at Bible college. At, my baton, at our baton passing service, if you will, you may remember there was an older gentleman called David Shearman who was there. I see him as like a grandpa in the faith. And I asked him to just start investing into me. I'd drive up a couple of hours just to spend some time with him every so often. And uh, I'm so pleased that he's agreed to keep up that relationship. Look, you've got to be intentional if you want to grow. And I think this isn't just for David because he's a leader and he needs to be accountable. We're all leaders of certain areas and influence, and we're all trying to be closer to Jesus. So can I encourage you to take initiative and look around and see, are there people God has put and placed and positioned in my life that I'm supposed to glean from, who are ahead of me, that I admire, that I want to go for? And look, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has their troubles, but still follow them as much as they follow Christ. What's brilliant, I saw David Sheeman maybe just a couple of weeks ago, um, and um, as we were chatting, he said, David, you've got to deal with that. There's something you're hanging on to that God doesn't want you to hang on to. Deal with it. That's what's so good about these people. They see things that you don't, and they want you to grow. They care for you. This can be within the family. Let's serve one another. And uh, maybe you're thinking about, well, who can I look to to be some sort of spiritual guide or parent? Brilliant. Reverse that as well. Who might I be able to invest into? Remember, serving, submitting. And uh, we'll talk about this a bit more. But maybe you've been hurt by a relationship, and even worse, in the church. I want to encourage you, God is bigger than your pain and what you've been through, and God wants to work something out in that situation too. So there you go. God will speak to one of us, any of us, if we open ourselves up to him in his direction. Finally, the third point, resist our enemy. Again, we get this in verse eight, uh, verse nine, sorry. Resist him standing firm in the faith. Look at how it's talking to the people to resist him. It's not saying to the leaders resist him. We're supposed to be watchful. We're supposed to warn you. But we, as a church family, are supposed to resist him, which talks about our responsibility. I love about being alert, sober mind. It's talking about your thinking. And I want us to, to see this because it is really with our thinking that we can end up being like the stray sheep. Just come back to the sheep analogy with me. Imagine you're a sheep. <laughs> ah, you're in the flock. You're chilling. Life is good. You've got green grass. You're close to the shepherd. But all of a sudden, you're distracted by something you see. You're distracted. And you begin to drift. Distraction leads to drifting. You start drifting. You go towards the distraction. You eat of the distraction. You get stuck in the distraction. And before long, there's a distance from the flock, but also from the shepherd. 
You stay in that distraction and in that distance long enough, you become deluded. I'm safe here. Jesus is there. The flock's there. I'm safe here. Or maybe it's fine for me to graze here. Maybe it's fine for me to run with my ideas and thoughts here. Maybe it's fine for me to please myself with my own pleasures here. No, it's someone. It's not the flock doing this. Like we're taking one sheep here as the example. And before long, what happens? The enemy comes to devour you. We have to be alert. And this is why I think it's so important to have relationships where we serve one another, where we're connected, because they see, David, um, how, how's your relationship with Jesus? How have you been reading your Bible? How have you been, you know, serving recently? Or, David, like, what have you been watching? What have you been doing with your friends and family? What have you not been doing with your friends and family? These kind of questions can help us at the very early point be like, oh, I'm just being distracted by something. Get me back in. But here's the thing. If we, and look, the enemy I talked about is right there when we're we're at the distance. It doesn't take the enemy to draw us away. We have our own thoughts and inclinations. Let's be honest. We have our own weaknesses, We have our own things that we want to go after, which isn't what God wants for us. But we have to be honest with ourselves and be able to admit that. Self-awareness is a beautiful thing. I wish I had it more. (laughs) But you know what? That's why you've got other people. God has placed us not just to be solely on him, but to be around other people. Christ will bless us through other people as well as directly with you. I want to encourage you. Find people you can be accountable to. Find people who will serve you. Find people to submit to. Find people who will love you and you can love. And I know this is the difficult thing because I've thought this in my journey as I progress. Oh, no, what happens if Tim finds out about this? Oh, he's never going to love me. I'm not going to be allowed in church or something. like. Like through my life, I've realized there's things I've wanted to keep hidden, right? I don't want people to know that. Or it's disqualified me from leadership. Oh, the grandiose leadership. Or it's disqualified me from having this or God blessing me in this way or just having his peace or having a good friendship or relationship with somebody. We must get over ourselves. God doesn't work through that shame and guilt. He's asked us to be in relationship with one another so we can submit to one another, so that we can serve one another, so we don't have to judge one another. We need to care and be watchful. And yeah, if that's judgment, then that's judgment in a certain way. But... I know that the people I've picked in my life, even though they'll sort of metaphorically slap me, metaphorically, they will, they'll sort me out, they, won't judge, they want me to win. God's placed people in your lives because he wants you to win. And winning means being close, close to Jesus. Let's not allow ourselves to be distracted. Maybe we found ourselves already drifting I don't want distance between me and God because the whole point of me is to be in his house, in his flock, close to him. Because we've done the whole shepherd analogy and um, the sheep analogy, it would be good, wouldn't it, to go to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Particularly, I'm just going to read to you verses 5 and 6. This is what it says about the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, Jesus You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. 
Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, the enemy, sure, he prowls around like a lion, and he, he wants to get at you, and he wants to devour you. He wants to eat you. But look at this about the shepherd. Surely Jesus' goodness and love, his steadfast love, will follow me. In other versions, it's pursue you. So even when you're straying, God's heart is towards you, and he's pursuing you with a power greater than the enemy's power to devour you. He loves you that much. Don't let go of him. So what does it mean today to be growing up? <laughs> to be growing up not just on Christ, but growing up in family. It means for us to follow our leaders, the leaders that God's put in place, not that they've jostled for it. And just one more thing there. Leadership isn't for me to build, for you guys to build my platform. If you even take the sheep analogy, right, the shepherd and the sheep, the shepherd is for the sheep. The sheep isn't for the shepherd, right? The sheep tends, no, this flock is tended by the shepherd. So you don't need to build my platform. I'm actually here to build yours. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. We're, we're, we're supposed to be building the, the, equipping the saints for works, good works. Follow your leaders. Second thing, serve one another. And I really want to encourage you with those relationships. Get into small groups or accountable relationships. And finally, resist the enemy. And resisting the enemies is much about staying within the flock, but also to being alert. Take initiative. Dwell. This is the thing. Jesus talks about in, Matthew, uh, in John chapter 15 or 14, I'm sorry. He says, abide in me. Dwell in me. As long as you're dwelling in him, your mind, your thoughts, your inclinations, your, your priorities will be his. So, to respond, I'm simply going to ask the Holy Spirit again to speak to us. God sees all of you. He knows you. And you may feel like you're, you're straying. You may just feel like you need some strengthening and encouragement in this time. You're going through difficult moments while well, the Holy Spirit is here. He knows you. He knows what you're going through. And finally, to encourage you from the very verse um, of Peter chapter 5, here's the reminder. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. If I can have the band come up. And I'll just pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are here with us by your Spirit. And I pray right now your Holy Spirit would speak to us really clearly. If there's anything you want us to really work through, to hold on to, to dwell in, Lord, Lord God, would you make that so clear? And I pray for those who are struggling and suffering and, and in one case or another, Lord God. I pray, Father that you would show them yourself. Would you lift their heads? May they see you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by what you've heard. If you'd like to know more about Jesus, Wellspring Church, or how you can grow with others in faith, Connect with us by clicking the link in the episode description or by joining us on Sundays at 9 and 11am in person and online.